Well, we're back. We're back into opening doors. Um, that's our that's our sermon series right now. And today, I want to talk about a, a, a discipline, a spiritual discipline that is very, very close and near to my heart. Um, you know, my wife always says that celebration is her favorite discipline because you know who likes who doesn't like a good party. And I guess this is maybe the introvert in me because. Um, one thing you got to know about about pastors is a lot of us are really introverts, and it's good because we have to do a lot of study. Um, and study is 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 a really big and important one for me because when I was younger, I hated to study, hated it, absolutely hated it. But just like every other discipline that we've been talking about, the idea is is that these disciplines are meant to replace old destructive habits, and they give us new life-giving habits. So maybe you've gone through this series, and you're starting to realize, kind of like I am, that you've come across some of these spiritual disciplines, and you're going, wow, I've, I don't know that I've ever worked on that before. I don't know that I've ever done that before. I'm hoping that that's what's happening. I'm hoping that something during this entire series we've been going over this summer that something has been triggered in your brain to make you think, I, I probably should work on that. I wonder, what, I wonder how my life would change. It's only going to change for the positive. All right, but so far we've gone through all of the outward and corporate disciplines that are from the book I was talking about, The Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. If you don't have it already, I highly recommend you get it. Um, so we've gone through all the corporate ones. Those are the ones you do amongst everyone. Then you have the external ones, which are the ones that you, you do and you show people that you're doing them, basically. Um, and then the other ones that we're going to be talking about now is called the inner disciplines. And these disciplines are known for their internal changes in our lives. Um, they, they are less seen by people because you don't, see them actu- you don't see people actually doing them, per se. So it is less seen by people. But um, the concept is that it's still transformative. It still transforms your life. Probably not in a way that's seen outwardly, but it is seen. And study is one of those things that it shows a change in your life, usually not right away. And that's kind of the hard part of disciplines is sometimes we don't see the changes right away. So first question, what is study? Study is simply this. Study is a specific, here, this is a wonderful definition. If you want to write down, if you love definitions, this is your thing. Study is a specific kind of experience in which thorough, careful attention to reality, the mind is enabled to move in a certain direction. Okay, dry and boring. So let me clarify. Study is a specific kind of experience. See, the thing is, is that not every experience is good. Not every experience is bad. Not every experience is worth studying. Some experiences are worth studying. Sometimes we have difficulty identifying those things of what is good to study and what's not good to study. But it's only specific kinds of experiences that are worth study. Okay? Um, And it's important that we are very discerning in what we study. We just don't want to study... You don't want to walk outside and be like, ooh, look, a raindrop. I want to study that raindrop. That, that Probably not the best use of your time, 
but you can but i've i've heard stories of people who've like studied chrysalis you know chrysalis it's it's when the uh the caterpillar turns into the butterfly and and this and this guy who was a biology student is like i'm just in awe by this and his professor goes you're you're just this is how it works it's not a big deal he's like you don't understand i mean this thing comes in as 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 a caterpillar and a few days later comes out a butterfly that's just amazing how god does that yeah but we already understand everything about it we understand what's happening i said okay you understand what's happening but do you know how amazing it is that that is happening did you know that there's actually a part there's actually a time when a baby in a, in a mother's womb that something happens and science has not explained this yet an electrical impulse happens and the heart stops heart starts beating it's nothing the mother does it's not like oh, i'm going to go stand on my head today and now the baby's going to have a heartbeat no it literally is something that is just it happens you can and, and science will go yeah we all know this happens but why well, we don't know why it just does it has to well isn't that amazing that is amazing Philippians 4, 8 through 9 puts it this way. It says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you have learned and, re- and receive from me and receive from me everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. So the reality is, is that whatever we study... Is going to impact our lives. Our brains are designed to take on an order conforming to whatever we concentrate on. Did you know that? Think of it this way. What if as a child, you spent your entire, think of it this way, you spent your entire childhood learning, an, an entire year of your childhood, as I'm trying to fold my piece of paper, this is my mental break, um, Think of this. When you were a child, you spent an entire year of school just learning the alphabet. Didn't you? I mean, you're, you're like three or four years old. You're in preschool, and they're like, this is an A. This is how you make an A. This is everything about an A. A, 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 A. You ever read those books? A is for alligator. A, A, A. I'm reading these a lot right now. <laughs> the result is that you eventually become proficient in the alphabet. And more specifically, as you get older, not a whole lot older, mind you, you become proficient in English. Hi, Malachi. Do you want to come here? Or do you want to go downstairs? (laughs) Abby, can you help me out with him? There we go. See? (laughs) All right. <laughs> Nothing to see here. M is for Malachi. M M M. Editing is wonderful. All right. But see, the thing is, is you became proficient in English. You speak English. Everyone in here, you guys all speak English, right? Because otherwise, this sermon will not make a whole lot of sense. Here's the thing: you became proficient in English. All right. Can I tell you a secret? And maybe you know, maybe you don't know. The United States of America doesn't have an official language. 
we don't have an official language. We don't. There's a preferred language, but we have no official language. It's absolutely true if you look it up. 100% true. We don't have an official language. In fact, the government states that business will be done, that, that governmental business will be done in English. But did you know that there was a vote, at least there's a story of this, that there was a vote back in the 1700s, and they were trying to determine what the official language of the government was going to be. And it was one vote shy from being German. One vote shy. Imagine how much different your life would be today if the United States had determined that the government's official language, not the nation's official language, mind you, the government's business official language was German. Just think about it. How would your life be different today? Would it be that we're all speaking English today? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe we'd all be speaking German because we all have to go to the DMV sometime. Even you young guys, you'll eventually go to the DMV and have that enjoyment. Think of how that would have changed things in the early 20th century. Think of how it would have changed things in the 1930s. Maybe we would have had a more maybe we would have had more of an identity with other German speaking people even during fascist times. Maybe our relationship with England wouldn't have been as good. Think of how much that would have changed. This is the stuff that we study. Think of how much that, just that, the alphabet, how you pronounce the letter A. Think of how that has changed you. That's just this little tiny thing. See, there's consequences for what we learn. Maybe those consequences aren't seen right away, but they are. They're there. So fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, right, and pure, and lovely, and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. See, fixing your thoughts on these things, setting them, it's going to set your life's trajectory up to be in a godly way. Next thing we need to do is we need to be careful. We need to give careful attention to reality. And that's the next part here. Give careful attention to reality. I want to focus on a couple different scriptures. The first one um, is this. I want to focus on uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And it says, Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. See, the thing is we need to focus our study on the things that are good and proper and so on and so forth. We need to also make sure that we give careful attention to reality. See, our world is very different, has very different ideas than what reality is. The customs and behaviors of this world are too often, they don't conform to God's ideas. Let me tell you about God. He created all of this. That's reality. But we have a world that's going to go out and say, nah, I think it goes this way. No, no, no. 
God created this. <laughs> this is reality. You can say whatever you want, but this is reality. God's presented to us what the reality is. Another verse I want to talk about is Matthew 23, verse 15. And it says this. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cross the land and sea to make one convert, and then you turn that person into twice the child of hell you are yourselves. The scripture is important for us as believers and even more important for those who are teachers of other people. Some people are very wrong. Can I say that? People are, some people are very wrong. They're wrong simply defined, uh, wrong is simply defined as any thoughts, feelings, or concepts that are contrary to truth. Some believe that truth is fluid. Can you believe that? It's my truth. I hate that phrase. I'm like, <laughs> prove it. <laughs> There's no proof. It's my truth. No, you're believing a lie. <laughs> By the way, if the power goes out, I'm still going to keep speaking. I'll just have to get closer to you. See, the thing is that that's, that's, that's a very high level of arrogance on someone's part. You have, to have, you, have to have, you have to be pretty big on yourself to think that you know better than the truth. Sadly, today, the world is not the only place where this relative truth is being taught. It's being taught in our schools. And it's even spreading like wildfire in the church. There are teachers, television personalities, parents, and even pastors who have fallen into this trap of relativistic truth, and they end up ignoring the Bible. And what ends up happening, just like we see today, you end up with a generation of people who don't know the truth. That's how a fallen world gets worse. We're already fallen. The false reality turns into what lost people and broken people believe in reality. They don't believe in truth. They don't believe in what is really real. The last part of the definition goes like this. The mind is enabled to move in a certain direction. This is very deliberate action on our part, and it's, it, it's what make, it makes study happen. Did you know that to enable something, it means that you have to take action to make it happen? Think of... Uh, think of Think about uh, turning a page. If I just stand there and stare at it, nothing's going to happen. Or I could flip backwards. That'd be the opposite of what I need to do. But if I wanted to go forward in the message, which all of you want me to do, um, I would be flipping forward in the sermon. But that's enabling. Now, there is negative sides of enabling. I'll tell you that right now. You can enable people to do wrong things, which I'm going to tell you, I would define that as not enabling, but disabling. You're disabling someone. Don't disable people. We're already fallen. We don't need to be worse. So there are actually people out there in your life, maybe, that may be out there to tell you something that's not true, that's false. Maybe they're out there to attack you. You ever feel attacked, spiritually attacked by someone? You ever feel like you're 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 like someone is out to get you? This person is is is, is trying to disable 
your witness. They're trying to disable the work that God has done in your life. They're trying to disable the truth. Then there's the other kind of people. Because there's three kinds. Here's the second kind. These are the people that just do nothing. I'm not going to enable you. I'm not going to disable you. I'm just going to sit back and I'm going to watch everything burn. What does that do? Nothing. You know what the Bible says about knowing the truth but not doing the truth? He calls that sin. It's called a sin of omission. You didn't do anything wrong, but you didn't do anything at all. God gave us grace. You can make mistakes. Make mistakes. At least if you make mistakes, we know you tried. The most useless Christian in the world is the Christian who says that they're not going to do anything at all. And I would argue they're not even Christians. They just want a free ride to heaven. Is heaven a free gift? Absolutely, it's a free gift. But God says that if he's in you and he's your Lord, he's changing your life, which means you need to be enabling people. Help them move forward in their lives. Study is about enabling you. It's about enabling you to do more, to be able to expand who you are so that you can do more. It gives you more alternatives. Yeah, that's the new one. That's the new one, guys. It's okay. Yeah. It's, it's just rain. I, I've got the whole, I'm watching it. <laughs> um, see, God has a lot to say about study in Scripture, and I'm going to read a I'm going to read several of these real quick. First one is Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 18. It says, Commit yourselves wholeheartedly to, the, to these words of mine. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your foreheads as reminders. So this is significant because your hands represent the work that you do, and your head, your forehead, that's what other people see. Can you see your forehead? Raise your hand if you can see your forehead. I really want to meet someone who can see their own forehead someday. I think there's a fish, like, underwater fish that can lift its eyes straight up. can't remember what it's called. Spookfish. Yeah, that's it. That's pretty cool. You can see his forehead. Um, but it's, it's, it's also translucent. Um, God is amazing. He makes some amazing creatures. See, your forehead is what other people see on you. When I look at you, I can see your forehead, but you can't see your forehead. Tie your scriptures around your hands. Let the word of God, let what you've studied be a part of what you do with your life. Put it on your forehead. Let it be something that others see from you. It has to be obvious. If God's word is not obvious on you, it's got to get there. It needs to be evident in our work and in our character. Psalm 119, 9 and 11 says, How can a young person be stayed pure? By obeying your word. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. This is come as kind of a shock to me. Um, this may come as a shock to some, but it's necessary for young people. It, it's sorry, it's not necessary for young people to go through hell to realize that they need to go to heaven. Kids don't have to go through a living hell to have a relationship with Jesus. 
I grew up in the church. I'm telling you, I had my own stuff I went through. But I didn't have to go off and start injecting things in myself or drinking things I shouldn't be drinking or, you know, smoking things I shouldn't be smoking or partying and, you know, other things with girls that do. I didn't have to do all that stuff to figure out, wait a minute, this is wrong. If you study, if you watch society, you can tell that it's broken. Why would you even want to join that? Why do you think we're starting a youth group? We have an entire generation of kids out there that all I want to do is tell them, you don't have to do that stuff. You can love Jesus today. And his way is a lot better. I'm telling you right now, it's going to be real good, guys. Right now downstairs, there's some kids learning about how to obey God's word. They're going to take that with them for the rest of their lives. Maybe they won't remember everything that Miss Ava tells them today. But they're going to have that in there. When they go home with their take-home papers and stuff like that, do it with them, Mom and Dad. Share the gospel with your grandkids, Grandma and Grandpa. Raise up a child the way you want them to go. Don't just be like, hey, there's the world. Go have fun. No. Have you ever seen, like, daytime television shows, and they're like, no, you just need to go let your kids do... No. <laughs> That's a terrible idea. I watched some of these, I've watched some of these shows, especially when I was unemployed. Um, and I'm like, wow, that is a really bad advice. <laughs> Second Timothy. 316 to 17. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us for what is true and making us realize that wrong that there's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses us to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Every scripture is good. Every single one. Even the most boring book you can think of. Come on. Just real quick, and this is an interactive moment. I want you to tell me your least favorite, and I know this is, each of us have one. I want you to tell me your least favorite book of the Bible. How many of you said numbers? Raise your hand. All right, let me tell you about numbers. So numbers is an interesting book. I'd, I've, I've studied it before, and man, that, that, is a, that is a tough book to get through sometime. Um, but Numbers 1.1, 1, 1, the Lord spoke to Moses on the, on the first day of the second month. I want to tell you, this was two years after the Israelites were free from Egypt. So Numbers was written two years after they'd been freed from Egypt. Did you know that? Learn something. See? This goes right to my teaching gift today. Second part, Hebrews t- uh, the Hebrew title for Numbers was Bemidbar. Did you know that? Bemidbar means in the wilderness which is a pretty accurate title considering the Israelites did all that they did was wander for that entire time. They didn't originally call it Numbers. They called it In the Wilderness. That would have been a better title, I think, because Numbers is like, oh, math. Uh, Numbers covers a period of 39 years. The Israelites numbered about 2.5 million people. Can you imagine 2.5 million people traveling together for 40 years in the desert? I mean, how, how long can you travel with your kids and grandkids in the vehicle and not go crazy? 
Every Sabbath, this is the fourth one, every Sabbath day, two unblemished male lambs were required to be brought for the sacrifice. Along with the lambs, four and a half pounds of flour mixed with olive oil were required to be brought. And over 40 years in the desert, I want to tell you, that amounted to 4,160 lambs over the four and, and over four and a half tons of grain mixed with olive oil. Let's just talk about the lambs for a minute. All right, but there's a lot more examples. I want, I want you to think about this. 2.5 million people walking around in the middle of nowhere. As for the lambs, they had to be completely unblemished. Now, I, I, I've, never, I, I've never been around, what do you call it, lambing? I've never been around for lambing. I don't know how it all works. But unblemished lamb, this is what an unblemished lamb is. It has to be without ble- blemish. It cannot be blind, lame, or sick. And some have even said that the lambs needed to be no more than a year old. Um, some of you farmers help me out there. How often, because I, I know calving is, you have your calving seasons. Does lambing work the same way? Just like nods or same thing? Okay, so 2.5 million people, they had to come up with a blemishless lamb every single week for the Sabbath. Let me give you some numbers. This meant people needed to provide 104 male lambs a year with absolutely no blemishes. It can be blind, lame, or sick. I don't know about you or lamb breeding, but I imagine finding 104 lambs would be kind of difficult every single week because they couldn't be over a year old. I mean, if you could spread that out, and you have to realize 2.5 million people, not everyone's a shepherd because they had other sacrifices they had to do too. We're not even talking about the bulls or, or the goats or anything like that. We're just talking the lambs. Okay? The Bible talks about how the Israelites even went hungry. They made their sacrifices. Ooh. So they were sacrificing lambs, and they didn't have food. I mean, they're out in the middle of the desert. they got to come up with grain and olive oil. I've been to the Middle East. There's not a whole lot of that around. Let me do a visual example for you. All right, so every, every week, let's say for this Sunday, the elves represent a lamb. We had, to ha- we had to find two lambs for this Sunday, which theirs was Saturday. But So every week you had to come up with two lambs. Every year you had to come up with 104 lambs. And, and get your glasses on. Over 40 years they had to come up with 4,160 lambs for the 40 years of wandering. I, I counted. I actually had word count for me. That's 4,160 L's. That's a, lot of, that's a lot of L's. See, God promised and provided for his people for 40 years. He gave them quail. He gave them manna. He provided for the sacrifices. He provided everything. You want to know an amazing overarching story in the book of Numbers. For, 40, for 39 years, the book of Numbers describes how God provided for his people for 2.9 million people for 39 years. Boom! 
boom, numbers just got cool. <laughs> so we know that study is important, but how do we do it? So this is, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna wrap this up with, with a quick, how do, you, how do you study, okay? This is going to be a real big teaching moment. Okay, so there's four steps to studying. The first one is repetition. What we repeat will determine how we react. When I was in the army, we went to the range constantly. They taught us exactly how to fire that M16A2, and then they gave me an, and then they gave me an M4, and I had to learn it all over again. But what happens? You get muscle memory. How do you clear jam? Even do it, I can do it by muscle memory. It's been ten. I looked at. I looked it up. It's been ten years since I've done it. I can still do it. Ten years later, you give me an M16, an M16, I can do it right now. An AR15 works too because they're exactly the same thing. They just don't shoot exactly the same way. They're not as fun. Um, so repetition, muscle memory. Scripture is really good for this. If you get into the scripture and you know scripture and you can repeat it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, when that problem comes up to try to jam you up, you can be like, there you go. I'm not jammed up anymore. Let's go. You can keep firing at the enemy. The second part is concentration. Focus attention on something intensely. <sighs> Kids are terrible at this. Do your chores. Okay. An hour later. Did you do your chores? Oh, I got distracted. <laughs> Says Abby. Focus. Give your concentration to it. If it's important to you, if it's important enough to you, if you care enough about it, you'll give your attention to it. Third part, reflection. It's good that you know how. It's good that you've paid attention to it. But ask the question, why are you doing it? And then strive for the rest of your life to figure it out. You know what that does? That justifies the action to you. The next one, humility. Ooh. Pastor's talking about humility. Allow what you've learned to change you. If it doesn't change you, why'd you do it? Why'd you study it? So what do we need to study? There's a couple different things. Media, which covers a whole spectrum of things, and then our world. So studying media is half of what you need to study. If all you ever do is sit at Sit at home reading a book, or sit at home watching a television show, or sit at home or do this, or whatever you're doing, you're not getting an entire education on what God wants you to study, okay? But let me talk about media real quick. There are a couple things that we can do. There's some essential rules, okay? These are some uh, essential rules to, uh, to study, uh, to studying media. First, you need to understand what the media is saying. So what is the author saying? The author, the screenwrite, whatever it is. Second, interpret what the media says. What does it mean? Third, evaluate it. Are they right or wrong? I'm telling you, if most of what you're watching, when you evaluate it, if it's wrong, you're not getting a good study time. You need to get some stuff in you that is going to edify you, build you up. Okay? Books are wonderful. Was it? I have I have a saying I like using. Um, your 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 life is going to be comprised of the books you read and the people you meet. 
I love that. I love that phrase. The books you the books you read that can be reinterpreted to be media, because I mean we all read the you know some of us read the paper, some of us have YouTube videos we watch or whatever it is. And those things are going to be be important in our lives because we do them. Uh, the second part of this is that there are some um, extrinsic rules, or they're important but they're not essential. Um, experience. Experience is the only way we can interpret. Uh, or relate what we consume. But you don't necessarily have to go through something to understand it. Sometimes you can just have empathy. You don't have to you don't have to have been robbed to under to learn from someone else getting robbed. You don't need to have that experience. I hope you've never had that experience. Other media. Find some supporting materials. You know, dictionaries or commentaries, videos, documentaries, interpretive literature, the Message Bible. <laughs> um, but great media um, produces, uh, there's great media out there that's been produced. And there are all sorts of studies out there that go along with it. Um, and then the other one is live discussion. Talk about someone about it. Talk to someone about it. You might get a perspective you've never heard of before. Maybe they'll support you. The other thing we need to be doing is studying our world. Isaiah 55.12 puts it this way. You will live in joy and peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song, and the trees of the field will clap their hands. See, God created this world. Let's not forget that. See, sometimes we get so wrapped up in the fact that there's so much wrong going on in the world that we forget that he created this thing, and there's a lot really right. What was it yesterday? I was showing my father-in-law because he's a... He's a multi-athlete. So that's what I'm going to call you, a multi-athlete. I can't call you a triathlete or biathlete. You've done it all. You've done the Ironman, right? Wow. He's, he, he gets all the props because he has the, the, the magnets on, his, on the back of his car that has, like, uh, what is it, 26.2 and Ironman 140.6. Oh, my goodness. He's done so much stuff. I mean, what was it yesterday? You were wearing a sh- you were wearing a shirt that says "I ran the, the world showcase at Disney World." I walked that sucker. It took all day. <laughs> what was it? I, I know a comedian who once said, "I do put I I do one push up a day. I get up in the morning. That's half. <laughs> I lay down at night. That's the other half." <laughs> Double zero. <laughs> 0.0. You ever seen that that one? <laughs> yeah. <sighs> but we were we were over here driving driving up the dirt hill, dirt road at Senex. We were coming across, don't going down the road. I was trying to show him a good place to run where he can go out. Because you're doing what, 15 miles today? He's going to do 15 miles today. And uh, we we crested over that hill over there. And you, I think some of y'all know what I'm talking about over there. And you just can see for miles. Guys, we live in a beautiful place. We really do. If you haven't gotten out to see it, you're missing out. And if you can't thank God for it, you're really, really lost. Because it's majestic out there. You can learn from something. You can learn something just by, by looking at his creation. Another thing we need to be doing is we need to be looking at the principal objects of our study. Um, the principal objects of our study should also be ourselves. Look at yourself. Study yourself. Do you know yourself? Do you know what you're good at? Do you really know what you're good at? Or do you think you know what you're good at? If you want, if you want some tools, I can help you with that. I've got some pretty cool tools. I learned a lot about myself 
by taking a bunch of little surveys, I went, oh, yeah, I guess I am that way. Sometimes just having a, a, a title to go along with how you think and act, it can really help you. Another thing is to ponder events of our time, uh, noting first uh, with the spirit of discernment what things in our culture um, lifts, what, what, what things in our culture can lift us up, and, and whatever's a great event. There's a lot of junk happening in our, in our world. I mean, we're, we've got 7 billion people around. Everyone's got their own day going on today. But there's a lot of cool things happening today, too. I don't know where they are, what they're doing, but if you find some, study it. It's pretty cool. Has the church changed? A good church changes. Why? A good church changes because the world changes. What doesn't change is our calling. We have an unchanging gospel that has to reach a changing people, which means we have to change. We can't stay the same. If we stay the same, we're going to end up being an empty church with lights off, nobody home. I've seen it happen way too many times. I've been in so many churches where the youngest person in the church was in hospice. Well, maybe not hospice, but they were in the nursing home. They were on their way. We, we used to have this saying, it's a literally dying church. The church is literally dying. If you want to meet, if you want to bring the next generation to, of people into your church, you got to go where they are. Jesus went to where the sinners were. Why are we doing a website? Why are we doing social media? Why are we doing the sermons online? Why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? Why do we have to have this when we've never had that before? Because it's the 21st century, and we can't operate the way we did before. If the way we operated worked before, this place would be full. It worked for a time. That time is over. We have to change along with it. You have to be able to study. You have to understand what your community is, what they're looking for. Meet the needs, because people don't care what you have to say until they know how much you care. And you can't care for people until you know what they, what they need and how they need it. See, I could talk about this topic for hours. And you're all going, I want to leave. <laughs> but it wasn't always this way for me. You couldn't pay me enough to read a book when I was Abby's age. When I was, ten, when I was 11 years old, you couldn't pay me enough to read a book. But I learned something. Study produces joy. Joy is addicting. Joy is a great thing. Joy is a high that you'll never experience by any alcohol or drugs. It's a high that you'll never feel in any relationship. Study brings on joy. And it's hard work at the beginning. Study's hard work at the beginning. Like any novice, it's really hard work. 
But the greater our proficiency gets, the greater joy we get out of it. You'll see me every once in a while. I'll play piano up here, and I'll close my eyes, and I'm just playing. And that's because I know where the keys are. Because I know which keys I have to hit next. I just know it. If I ask anyone else to come up here and do that, it may not sound that way. Try to do chopsticks with your eyes closed. That one's hard. <laughs> but that's what study gets you. There's a point in the work of doing these disciplines when the work brings joy. You feel joy from it. You feel a change in yourself. And you're like, this is a discipline, but this is kind of fun. I have so much fun up here playing. I really do. I love it. What do you guys love to do? What have you always wanted to do? Study it. Learn about it. Get great at it. I don't want to even imagine what a veterinarian would be like if they'd never studied how to do what you do. Those poor dogs. Don't miss. I mean, you can't drive a tractor without knowing how to, without having it studied, having it studied, you know, study it. You can't do that. You can't cut hair without having studied how to cut hair. You wouldn't have a successful business if it was that case. <laughs> Learn to ask questions. Learn to ask questions. Why is everyone so afraid to ask a question? Are you afraid someone's going to get angry with you? Don't. Learn to find out answers. Study. Learn to talk. Learn how to find help in finding things. If you guys are looking for top for books or whatever, I have a rule with books. And and I get in trouble with this sometimes, but honestly, I'm over it by now. Every book that I have in that office, if you want to use it, take it. I don't mind. Let me know it's gone. That way I know <laughs> if I'm looking for it, I know where it went. But yeah, my collection's open to you. You want to use any of my books? Go for it. Most of my books are on Kindle anyway. But get a Kindle. Oh, man, Amazon. But, you know, get something. Read. Readers are leaders. That's what I've always been told. Read. 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 Read something different than you've been reading. Read something that's going to challenge you. Anyway, I've gone on, I've gone on long enough, haven't I? Guys, I'm telling you right now, if you study, God will increase your capacity. If you think your life is good now, wait till he increases you. Abundantly more? You can't even imagine that. Lord God, I pray today that everyone will take an opportunity to begin to study you, God. Study who you are. Study what you've created. Lord God, open up people's hearts 
people's minds to what is available to them. No more excuses, God. I pray, Lord God, that you will expand every single person in this room. I pray, Lord God, that you will have an influence on their life, that you will grow them in a way that they've never been grown before. Give them a desire to know you more, God. A desire to study who you are, what you've created them to be, or the world around them. Lord God, I pray that the hard things that we're going through in life, people are going through hard things. We can't avoid them. They're not going to go away. But Lord God, I pray that we will be able to study you. To study your answers. Lord God, I pray that we will study solutions and not study problems. Lord God, I pray that we will study answers. I pray that we will have a discernment to know that what we're reading, what we're consuming, what we're putting into our bodies is good so that what can come out of us will be good. Because God, whatever the reality is, is that the words that we take into us, those are the words that are going to come out in our works. Those are the words that are going to come out on our faces when people look at us. And I pray, God, that it will be good that it will be good. I have so much desire to see everyone in this room, God, just filled with your spirit. To see it on their face when they walk in the door. To see it from the works of their hands, God. And I thank you, God, for everyone in this room who has been faithful to that. But I pray an over, an over abundance on their lives. Lord God, don't let us leave without being changed. Give us a calling. Give us a direction. Point us in the right direction, God. Let us help each other. As we go into the world this week, God, I pray that we will find at least one opportunity to share what you've done for us with those in the world around us. Not to grow the church or the church's budget or anything like that, but simply to glorify you, God, and to grow the kingdom of God. That's the goal. That's Scripture, God. And I pray, Jesus, be with everyone as they leave this place today. Help everyone to be well and drive safe. I pray again for those that are at the fair today. Keep them safe. Keep them well as they tear everything down. 
to pray for everyone who's out on vacation. I pray for those from our congregation that are with family members that are going through hard times. Oh God, our families, help us to know how to talk with them. Help us to be able to give words of encouragement to them, to enable them to know you more, God. Help us to enable each other, not only for a ministry, but just to give you glory. Thank you, God, for this opportunity for us to be together. In your name, amen.